Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 201. All right, the first one. Just needed sleep. I'm already sleepy just listening to that title. Hello everyone, my name is Annabelle and I've listened for a long time. I have finally caught up with the most recent episode and feel it's time to share a story with you. It's a cringe one, especially for Donna. Warning, there's an R word involved. Oh my God, no, let's just skip it. (laughs) Okay, if you're new here, an R word is a rodent that Donna hates. Is it a rodent? I don't know, an insect, a bug, a never dying thing that's been here since the beginning of time and won't ever fucking die. Wally's best friend. Yeah, it's a roach. Picture it. The day before, my husband decided to spray for bugs since it was time because we spray twice a year. I was laying in bed the next day, sleeping like the dead after working 70 hours in six days. I suddenly woke up to a scurrying noise that was loud enough to draw me from the dead of sleep. I pick up my head a little and lay it back down when I don't hear anything else. The second my head touched the pillow, I hear the shuffle of feet scurrying again. I lifted my upper body enough to see a dark shape scurry from my shoulder toward my body's stomach area. Me thinking it's a wolf spider, I didn't want to squish it. I shove my body higher till I feel the spider scurry down from my upper stomach down towards my hips. Then I see what the bug is. It was a giant cockroach. Like, literally, I'm itching just reading this through. (laughs) I shove it towards the right and meet the edge of my bed and start flying through the air. I did a 180 through the air as a manly voice comes out of my 4'8 body shouting, No, no, no! As I land softly on my right heel and butt, but my left leg swung down like a lifeless limb onto the hard foundation floor, which after x-rays later found out I fractured my bone spur. As I lay in pain on the floor, I watched the roach that tried to nuzzle me by throwing its leg around my body scurry back off the bed and back to the edge of the wall. Retelling the story now makes me laugh. Also, making the appointments for recovery, I retold the story enough to make everyone on the other side of the line laugh. I also found the dead roach the next day by the wall it scurried to. Thank you for your spirits and interesting conversations. A forever listener, Annabelle R. from Chester, Virginia. Well, Annabelle lived up to her name because, you know, that evil doll. Mm -hmm. That was the scariest story I've ever heard in my life. Did I even say English? I've ever heard in my life. I don't think you can get it out because your whole body is itching right now if you're anything like me. Gosh, yes. (laughs) That's literally if Jigsaw kidnapped me and I woke up, that's what my nightmare would be. Oh, for sure. Actually, it's so funny that this story came up because today we always play the like, would you, how much money would it take for you to blah, 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 blah. So one of my friends today said, would you eat a live R word for a hundred dollars? Hell no. I said a hundred dollars. She said, what, five? I said, pay my fucking student loans off and I'd eat it. I still don't even know if I I could then. I could not do it. But for that amount of money, (laughs) I might be able to do it. I could not do it. But her caveat too was like, you had to catch it too. I was like, oh hell no. I don't think... I, I don't, mm-mm. no, I'm not one of those people who do like the chocolate covered crickets or yeah. all that. No, I don't do any of that. That's so funny. I was like, do y'all remember on Say by the Bell when they ate the chocolate crickets? <laughs> <laughs> well, this might be the scariest one we have ever, ever in my life. Yeah, we don't have to try to one up that one. That one's just like gold star of scary as fuck. Okay, the next one. This one's titled The Man from a Dream. Hey guys, A writing in again. Still loving you guys and listening every free minute I can. I got another story for you. So this starts off with a dream, but it kind of came to life too. So when I was a teenager, maybe 14 or 15, I was sleeping over at my cousin Kay's house. 
I had the weirdest dream. I was a hotel manager running a hotel that was as crazy as the Tipton from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. And apparently a venue as well that was affiliated with our hotel. Well, the band Kiss was staying in my hotel and they had a concert to get to and I was in charge of making sure they got there at all cost. For a dream, I was stressing the F out, let me tell you. All the band members were down except Gene Simmons. And for the record, I don't even know if he's a member of KISS or really what they look like without their makeup. The band members kept saying he refused to leave the room and they didn't know what to do and were ready to leave without him. I was mad, like livid and stressed the fuck out. And I furiously went to his room. I can't remember what floor, but I think it was the 20th floor. And how the room was laid out was directly across from the French doors or a solid wood double door. I don't know. It was fancy. That opened to the room and it was a fireplace with a couch in front of it, a love seat to the left of the fireplace and a chair to the right. The set was a dark red with dark brown wooden accents. It was nice, except for the fact that Jean was slouched on the couch smoking with sunglasses on inside. What the fuck, dude? Major D-bag alert. (laughs) And across from him on the chair was a man in a dark suit, tall black top hat, and a cane that I distinctly remember had a small glass or a crystal skull on it. And I can't remember his face, but I remember the conversation. Essentially, I told Gene it was time to hi-ho it out of there and get going. He ignored me, and the man spoke to me, informing me that Gene wouldn't be going anywhere. This made my blood boil even more. So I said he had to get to his event. He had thousands of people waiting for him and expecting him. I remember saying, I'll do anything to get him there on time and safely. The guy asked me, anything? I said, yeah, anything. And Gene just got up and said, all right, let's do this. Next thing I know, I'm at the airport that we apparently also own, seeing the band off on a hotel's private jet that was booked for them. Next thing I know, I'm at my house. I walked from the kitchen to my living room and saw my grandma and friends on the couch, and one was even laying on the floor watching TV without a care in the world, just smiling. My grandma told me to get some chips from the pantry, so I did. On my way back into the kitchen, three cute fuzzy monsters walked one by one into view at the back door, which we used as our front door. One was pink, the other blue, and the last green. They looked like the mushy, I don't know if I said that right, monsters all grown up. Still cute, but unsettling with the permanent happy facial expressions. I quickly hurried to the pantry, grabbed the chips, and went back to my living room without looking back at the door. When I got into the living room, though, no one was there and the chips weren't in my hands. I walked to my couch, confused, and right above my couch was a window, and I could see the man from the hotel room withholding Jean on the road at the end of our property with his back to me, feet shoulder-width apart, and I could just tell both of his hands were resting on that cane directly in front of him. I woke up in my cousin's pitch-black room. I looked around her bedroom because it wouldn't be the first time I'd seen a ghost there. I was hoping maybe I saw their late dog or late grandpa, but the room was pitch black and empty minus the natural light coming in from the window that was at our heads. I started to adjust to get comfy again so I could go back to sleep, and there he was, outside in the darkness, with his back to me at the edge of the house's property line in the exact same stance. Okay, and so this is just a little note, and it was for episode 5. And she said, Carrie asked why he'd allow his mother to live with him after all the things she's done to him. And I don't know if anyone ever tried to explain it to you, but I can do my best. 
My mother is a pathological narcissistic liar and I absolutely hate her. She's done my sisters and I dirty as well as some friends, but she was my mom. You're taught and told you're supposed to love and cherish your mother. You're taught what a mother is supposed to be and you hope and long for the day she changes and be how everything depicts her as a mother to be. He probably resented the things that she did to him, but still loved her. If you end up reading this on the podcast, please, for the people whose mothers are awful to them, please make sure you include this. You're not the only one whose mom is horrible. You're not as alone as you feel. It's okay to keep her in your life because you're not ready to break that connection or that tie with her. It's okay to completely cut her out and go no contact. You need to do whatever's comfortable for you as you're the one who has to live with it. I also want to say it's perfectly okay to grieve the mother you never had and long for someone to nurture and love you. It's okay to get that from someone else. You are loved, you are worthy, you are beautiful or handsome, and your mother can suck it. Thank you, Amanda. Well, I'm going to be honest, I had to look and see what that episode was about, and I don't remember any of that, but I concur to all the things. Yeah. Because it is true. You're like taught to love your parents and no matter what, but they don't necessarily love you no matter what, but you're also taught family's family. Yeah. But it's like, not everybody's family's like that, and not everybody needs their family around. Sometimes your family is who you choose, not who you were given. Exactly. Also, I hope that was just a dream that you woke up and you saw the man outside. Like, so that was like a dream within a dream or something. Some inception shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, the next one is, my dead grandma talks to me, but also not. Hello, ladies. I'm a college student from Columbus, Ohio. I work at an architecture firm when I have free time as I'm going to school to be an architect. I listen to you ladies while I'm working or staying up doing endless amounts of homework, so thanks for the company. I guess the story starts in 2020 pre-COVID, those sweet two and a half months of bliss. So we're talking February. I had a dream one night. It was raining and I was in a graveyard. The graveyard has a large hill and I was at the bottom of it behind a tree. I lean towards the tree and look up the hill and I can see my mom and dad as well as my aunts and uncles. They're all crying and it's weird because I just know my grandmother on my dad's side is dead in this dream and this is her funeral. I wake up the next morning and my grandma is alive and in good health. I didn't tell anyone because it seemed like a very morbid topic to bring up at dinner. Hey dad, I had a dream grandma died. Anyway, the world shuts down mid-March, and I'm now doing online classes in the basement of my house. My dad runs down the stairs and asks if I'd watch my sister and my nieces as my grandmother was suddenly in bad health. They rush to her and get to say goodbyes. This was a very weird death as she went to the doctor's office for a normal checkup and was even texting in the family chat that the male nurse was a sight for sore eyes. All of a sudden, she starts having heart palpitations, and they notify my family. My aunts and uncles, as well as my parents, rushed there, and they were actually allowed to go in the room with gowns and N95s, which in March 2020 was unheard of. My family was there to hold her hand as she passed, and my mom, who's a nurse, said it was one of the worst deaths she's seen, as it was so sudden, and my grandmother seemed to be fighting so hard. She actually died on my aunt's, her youngest child's, birthday. We all agreed that being the diva she was, it was kind of fitting she went out with a bang. We're talking about an old woman who wore heels so much when she wore tennis shoes, she'd fall because she was so accustomed to walking in heels. Her doctor actually told her to keep wearing heels to avoid falls. She even had a set pair of heels she called her snowshoes. Flash forward a week ahead and we have a weird COVID funeral where we're all in our cars at the cemetery and only my grandmother's children and their spouses can stand around the grave. I almost shit myself because I realized this is a cemetery in my fucking dream. 
Her grave is at the top of a hill, and all of my aunts and uncles and parents are around the grave because no one else can get out of the car due to COVID. It was even windy and even rained. A few nights ago, I had a dream again. I'm behind the same trees as before, but it's sunset now and there's no rain. There's a calm, sweet spring breeze, and it feels so nice. I can see my family at the top of the hill crying. I get a tap on my shoulder and I turn to see my grandma. She looks how she did in all of the pictures I've seen her in her youth. She's glowing so much, like gold rays of sunshine pouring from her skin. She hugs me and doesn't talk, but I somehow know she wants me to take care of my dad. Then she walks into the sun. I know this sounds like bullshit and I'm a skeptic, so sometimes I think it isn't true, but sometimes I do. I just don't know. I was never close to my grandmother as my dad's brother was a child molester and he molested my older sister to which my dad's family said my five-year-old sister was lying. What five-year-old would fucking come up with that? Another cousin came forward and still no one believed. After the incident with my sister, my family was alienated from that side. So all this to say, I was not her favorite grandchild, so why would she come to me anyways? I've never forgave her for what she allowed to happen. She'd rather hang out with a child molester than me and my sisters, and that hurts. In addition to my experience, my oldest sister has gone to a few mediums as she's very ethereal and hippie-like. She's never told them anything about her life beforehand, but they have all said she saw an old woman come forward and apologizing for allowing her to be hurt. My mother had a similar thing happen to her as well. I'm still a little pissed at my grandma because my sister feels like she needs a more in-depth apology. Anyways, creep it real and don't get scared. Sorry if this was a downer, but maybe people's souls do live on. And should I forgive my grandma? Addie K. Thanks for keeping me company when I work. With love, Olivia. You absolutely do not have to forgive your grandma. As they say here in the South, I don't know, they may say it everywhere. All you have to do is pay taxes and die. <laughs> I feel like they say that everywhere. That's why I said. They may say that everywhere. That may be a thing. And really, you don't have to pay taxes. You just go to jail. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to send you the death penalty for jet for not paying taxes. Golly. Well, it wasn't that much of a downer, and then Carrie took it way down. Just to prove a point. Mm-hmm. I think since y'all have all seen her in some capacity, it is her, but it's stuff that she had left undone. She hadn't apologized. She hadn't, you know, been the grandmother y'all needed or anything like that, so... I feel like she was trying to make amends. And maybe she realized something in the afterlife that she didn't see before. Okay, the next one. A teenager and a castle. Well, that sounds like a Disney movie. (laughs) Hey, ladies. My daughter and I love listening to you. I love listening to the listener tales. And I know Carrie gets concerned about not having enough stories. So here's a story of when my daughter and I went to... Pythian Castle in Springfield, Missouri for your enjoyment. And I hope I said that correctly. July 2021 was an interesting time for my daughter, who was 14 at the time, and myself. I decided to take her on a last summer trip before she started her ninth grade year. I used to be a paranormal investigator when she was about two to six years old, and she's grown up with paranormal information being normal at our house, and not something to be scared of or run from. So while I planned this end of summer trip, I saw that Pythian Castle in Springfield, Missouri had an open ghost hunt that I could take her to and give her a taste of what she's been curious about for a while. The tour was a historical tour of the castle and then a ghost hunt through the castle until 3 a.m. the next morning. Luckily, the group that was overseeing the hunt had equipment so we can use so I didn't have to splurge and buy anything more than a couple of flashlights, a digital voice recorder, and a digital camera. My daughter was so excited that she couldn't even take a nap before we had to be there. 
Once we pulled up to the castle, it was very imposing. It's currently owned by a private citizen, but has gone through a couple of owners, including the government. I won't go into too much of the history because I think y'all will enjoy finding that out for yourselves. I'll focus on our experience. Okay, so first red flag slash occurrence was when my daughter and I were waiting in the parking lot for the event to start. Daughter looking up at the upstairs window. Mom, are there kids in there? Me, I don't know. Why? Daughter, because there's a little boy staring at me out of the window. Me, what does he look like? Daughter, he has pants and suspenders on? Oh shit. Sorry, mom. Sorry. Me, what's wrong? Daughter running behind me and looking at the window. There's a really tall guy kind of behind and beside the kid and its hands over his mouth. Mom, that can't be a real kid. His eyes are too big. After going over with her that she likely saw a ghost and maybe a spirit, we prayed over ourselves and asked for protection and walked into the castle. While waiting for the tour to start, we went through the museum part and noticed that there were a lot of suicides and children's death in the castle. That was unsettling as heck. Once a history tour started, we followed the tour guide all around the castle and ran into red flag number two at a high rate speed that felt like a brick wall. We should have left then. The basement of the castle used to hold World War II POWs. In the basement there is an interview room that has military-grade bolts in the walls. As we were standing in the room listening to the guide, I started losing my breath. My throat starts closing and I start wheezing. My daughter is standing in front of me. She's 5'4 and I'm 5'8, but I don't see her. There is someone towering over me with his hand around my neck and calling me filthy swine. He's sweating and his face is red. I can see through him, but I can only feel his anger. My daughter hears me having trouble breathing and grabs my hand. It breaks a scene and I grab her and leave the room. The guide comes out to talk to us and when I told her what happened, her response floored me. She said, oh, you must be part German. Yep, here's me with about 25% black Dutch lineage staring at her in disbelief. Um, why do you say that? I ask and she proceeds to tell me that people with German lineage have problems in the basement sometimes. So me being super mom, the paranormal investigator, can't show fear and let my daughter know that the previous incident scared me so much I almost fear farted, but we continued on with the tour. Next up, underground tunnel between the buildings. Oh goody, feel the sarcasm. We go into the tunnel as the guide tells us that the other end has been closed off because the owner of the castle doesn't own the buildings at the other end of the tunnel. Okay, then why the heck are we down here? My tortured mind screams. Well, that's when we get introduced to Mr. Boots. Yep, they named him WTF. My daughter and I are at the end of the line and we begin hearing sliding steps coming from the end of the tunnel and not the closed off end of the tunnel, but the end that we have to go back through. Ever had a 14-year-old girl try to climb you like a scared squirrel and you're the biggest oak tree? Yep, she almost ended on my shoulders except the above pipes kept her from getting that high. Now steps in the heroic guide. It's okay, everyone. It's just Mr. Boots coming to say hi. Really? How do you know he's nice? How do you know he's not a demon that feeds on fear? Because he has a Ryan's Buffet going on right now with this group. I turn to look at my daughter and remind her that greater is he that lives in her than anything else that could come at her including Mr. Boots, who can't seem to pick up his feet. Side note, my daughter and I are spiritual, not religious, and believe in Jesus. The easiest way to explain is that we choose to believe in Jesus, and we will tell people about him and our thoughts. I believe that people have to find the light and find the truth for themselves. I can't make them accept anything. 
Okay, carrying on. As Mr. Boots comes closer, the lights in the tunnel begin to flash. Our guide says, no worries, everyone. The light bulbs probably just need to be changed. At which time, my smart-ass teenage daughter responds with, those are LED strip lights, dude. They don't flash like that unless someone's making them do that with a controller. Do you have the controller? Gotta love her. He responds with, oh, I didn't realize they were LED lights. Okay, everyone, this is not normal. Let's head back upstairs. Needless to say, my daughter and I were almost teleported out of the tunnel because we then became the front of the line going back out and no one wanted to talk to Mr. Boots anymore. Once outside the tunnel, my daughter looks at me and says, Mom, I don't feel well. Yep, here comes Super Mom, protector of my daughter and Demon Slayer. I ask her what's wrong, check her heart rate and temp, and teleport her up to the command center in the ballroom of the castle. I try to keep in my mind that it's July in Missouri and the castle doesn't have AC on, but I can tell there's something else. We go back to our table and I grab our bags that we use to keep the important stuff, my Bible, some sage, and a lighter. The leader of the group hosting the hunt comes over to check on us and ask us what they can do to help. I told him what happened in the tunnel and some of the data that we had gotten while hunting for the two hours we were walking around. Yep, it was only 11 p.m. and we were supposed to stay there until 3. Hmm. He and I were talking while my daughter sipped on some water and laid her head on her table. Wait for it. Here comes red flag number three and the end of our story. As he and I are discussing the four words I got on the spirit box, February, empath, attack, and pain. Yep, I was born in February. I've been called an empath. I was attacked and my throat still hurt like hell. My daughter raises her head up, looks at him, and in a deadpan voice says, When the children leave, so should you. I almost fear farted again. I touched her shoulder and looked at her and she said, Mom, the kids' ghosts are gone and we need to leave now. Yep, me and my fat ass and my daughter picked up and walked right to the door telling whatever was there to stay there. Once we got to the car, the sage stick was lit and we looked like we were hotboxing the car, which I guess we were, but with sage. Once back at the Airbnb, she said that she felt better. I had bruises on my throat for a couple of days, but it was an experience that we will never forget. The event was also more frightening than any paranormal investigation I have ever gone on, except one. I may have to send that in a later email. Thanks, Jessica. Well, already I can tell you, please send that one in another email. Your damn daughter got possessed. Right? When the kids leave. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Those Uh -uh. ghosts were like, oh, this is somebody we can talk to. Uh Uh-huh. Now, I do like being choked a little bit, but uh, not so much that... You got bruises on your neck. Well, okay, you're on blood thinners. You get bruises anytime they lightly caress your neck. However, that was non-consensual. Yeah, that was non-consensual. That's not okay. Also, I've never heard of that castle, obviously, since I didn't even know how to say it. But I'm going to have to look that up. Okay, the next one. Hi, ghouls. My name's Kate from Texas. My story takes place sometime in elementary school. I'd say fourth or fifth grade. So every day, me and my sister would walk home from school. We only lived about 10 minutes away. A 10-minute walk? You literally would do that every single day at college. Well, yeah. They're kids. But now I don't want to do anything. Yeah, no, I know. Now I sit down at every possible uh, uh, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh, look, a chair. They're like, ma'am, that's not a chair. Well, it is now. (laughs) Don't fucking call me ma'am. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) They're like, with that figure, you're (laughs) ma'am. Okay, anyway. Well, for whatever reason, one day I walked home by myself. I'm not sure why I was allowed to do that. I remember that week we were learning about stranger danger and not getting into strangers' cars. And at some point, learning about the Just Say No to Drugs campaign. This will come up later. 
Well, as I was walking home, a stereotypical white van with no windows pulls up next to me. A man rolls down his windows and asks if I need a ride. He claimed to be a family friend. Luckily, we just went over stranger danger, and that sounded way too familiar to me. So I shouted, no, and ran away. I guess the just say no campaign and the stranger danger thing got mixed up. But either way, I did not go in the van. Thank God. I think about that day all the time and wonder what would have happened if I did. I never told my parents about that. I almost feel like somehow I did something wrong and didn't want to get into trouble. I didn't even tell my sister until recently. Love your podcast. It gets me through some boring days. Isn't that so bizarre how like we internalize somebody else doing something bad as we uh-huh. did it? Like we feel shame or like I couldn't tell anybody because I didn't want to get in trouble. And it's uh-huh. like you literally did nothing wrong. They did. But I would have done the same thing. I'm glad that you listened in school and you were like, no, no, no. And that definitely sounds like something I would do is get the two rules confused. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, that was just say no, not stranger danger. But either way, it worked, man. Uh Did I ever tell you or did Colby ever tell you about the time he almost got kidnapped from the grocery store? Well, from Walmart. Yes. He was like, his mom was finishing checking out and he was probably five or six. And he was on the (laughs) whatever those like the horse. Yeah. And um, like this guy pulled up and tried to get him to go with him. And Colby, like, freaked out and ran inside. And the worker went outside to try to chase the guy to figure out, like, who the hell was this? And who, you know, trying to get this kid to go with him. Yeah. I don't think anything ever came of it, though. They picked the wrong kid because Colby ain't leaving his parents. Colby ain't leaving his mama for sure. Uh -uh. I mean, he's a daddy's boy, too, but he for sure isn't leaving his mama. They're like, oh, yeah, we can bribe him. No, you can't. No. No. He may look like you can get in with some candy, but no. (laughs) No. He'll just go in and his mama will just get it for him. Exactly. Look, we had to get the most expensive internet package on this goddamn cruise so that he could call his parents every day. He, You ain't getting him to leave uh-uh. his mama. <laughs> the only way that would work is if my mama wasn't there. Yeah. And they were like, I can take you to her. And then I'd be like, okay. So true. <laughs> That's the only way. Okay, the next one. Hey, ladies. I honestly don't care if you read this during the podcast or not or which one of you reads it. But I guess this is an open letter to Carrie. Oh, God. First of all, congratulations on your wedding. The photos were beautiful. Second, I'm so sorry about the passing of your father. I had an experience similar when my dad was in his final days and I wanted to share it with you both. My dad had a grand mal seizure in March of 1994. That morning we had a blizzard, so I had to call for an ambulance three times before anyone came. Jeez. At the hospital, they told us that our options were to put him on life support or just keep him comfortable. And we decided on keeping him comfortable. He had been in the hospital for five days. And every time I wanted to spend time with him, someone else was always there. So I asked a friend of mine to come with me while my family was busy doing other things and she obliged. I sat next to him and took his hand and all of these emotions came up that I didn't expect. Moving my friend to close the door to his room. I talked to him and told him that even though he hated me, or so I thought from the years of mistreatment, that I loved him and I hoped he could hear me. Eventually, my family shows up and my mom tells me that I need to go home and get some rest. We left and headed for my house and I realized I didn't have a key to get in. I tried to wait, but we got bored, so my friend and I went to get something to eat. Then we just drove around and hung out for a few hours. I came back home and my family still wasn't there, so I figured they were at the hospital and had been trying to get in touch with me, but I wasn't home. She drove me back to the hospital, and when I looked up to his room, I thought I saw my sister, so we went up. 
The nurse told me that my family hadn't been there for hours, so I took this opportunity to give my dad a kiss and tell him that I loved him. My friend was looking at him kind of horrified, and she said, Steph, is he breathing? I looked back, and I saw his chest rise, and I said yes, but before we could leave, the nurses came in and were checking his vitals. Whatever they detected, he was not doing well. One nurse looked at me, and I said, is he okay? And she shook her head no. I took his hand and held it as he took his last breath. I know that he waited for me because earlier in the day, I got delayed going over to see him. And when I ran into the room, I was crying. I told my mom that I thought he was going to die without me being there. And I just know he heard me. My dad and I were not close. He was mean. He was abusive. But as I've gotten older, I realized that he was the way he was and it wasn't his fault. He didn't get a chance to be his best. But I always say that his best is alive in me. We have so much in common, our love of photography, numerology, astrology. I'm definitely my father's daughter. Your dad was absolutely hanging on until you got married. That's the last thing he could do for you. What a special gift. I hope this finds you both well. Thank you for letting me share that. Love and appreciate you both so much. It's crazy how much they hear and know that's going on when like you don't think that they know what's going on because they're not... Like, they don't appear with it Mm -hmm. or even awake, for that matter. And it's like, wait, they're hearing all of these things that we're saying. And also, is this weird? But sometimes I think, like, if something like that happened to me, would I know how to hold on? Like, how do they just know how to be like, don't die, don't die, don't die? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how do they know how to do that? Like, what are they doing that they're just like, okay, I'm going to stay alive for two more days, you know? But I did, like, tell my dad, you know just hang on, you know, told him to hang on. And he said he was. And, um, you know, I would tell him like the wedding's tomorrow at four, you know, right now, you know, it's Thursday at four. Today's Tuesday, you know. So like he kind of knew what was ahead. So he just didn't like, so he was aware of time because he would do that a lot when he was in the hospital. He would always ask like, what time is it? What, you know, because he knew when the medicine came. And so when he was like loopy from it, he would be like, okay, how much longer do I have until I don't feel like this? Yeah. And also thank you for sharing your story with us. Absolutely. That's, it's hard like sharing all of that. So thank you for sharing. Okay. The next one, hometown murder. Hey ladies. First, I just want to say, I love the community you guys have created. It's wild and scroll through your Facebook will make you blush. Insert wiki face here. I wanted to share my hometown story. This is a story that got me into true crime at only 12 years old. For the longest time, I didn't know the complete story, but after a deep dive into Google, I was finally able to find all the details. I grew up in Presidio, Texas. I hope I'm saying that right. A very small town back then and not a place where a lot of crime happened. On March 13th, 1998, my great aunt passed away and our family had gathered at my grandma's home to spend time together. After a while, a lot of buzz started going around that something was happening at the loading dock of the Dollar General, Caddy Corner to her house. Everyone ended up outside to see what was going on. It seemed like the entire neighborhood was out there. There was a little gray car parked behind the store and police were searching it. Addie Kay, who thought it would be a good idea for a 12-year-old to be out there watching this, but there I was. After a while, the gossip going around the crowd was that they found a body in the car. I watched as the police pulled out a claw hammer in a bag, and finally, as they pulled out a white sheet and used it to shield the trunk from the crowd, I couldn't stop watching. I watched in frozen terror as a yellow hand peeked from out the top of the sheet. 
I couldn't make sense of it. Why was her hand yellow? Is that what bodies look like when they're dead? For years, I'd think of her, and I would wonder about that yellow hand. It wasn't until recently, when thinking about the case, that it finally clicked in my head. Her hand wasn't yellow. It was an evidence bag covering it. At the time, all I knew was that her ex-boyfriend had kidnapped her from a different town, murdered her, and driven her to Presidio. Well, I finally found all the details online, and although it's terribly sad, you're going to love the ending. Her name was Yvette Berez, a 19-year-old from Mulshu, Texas. Yvette dated a man named Gabriel Reyes in 1997. I didn't look for much about their relationship, but they dated for eight months before they broke up in January 1998. He then proceeded to stalk and terrorize her. In February, he chased Yvette around town while driving with her baby and 10-year-old sister. He shot at her car and was arrested and charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, driving while intoxicated, and unlawful possession of a firearm by a felon. He was released after posting bail and continued to harass and stalk Yvette. He stole things from her, broke into her house, followed her in his car, and would flash his lights on her. On February 26, Yvette went to the police station and filed a police report stating that Gabriel Reyes keeps driving by my residence and any place that I happen to be at. This has been going on for several weeks. I am afraid of Gilbert Reyes. And that was a quote. On March 11th at 6 p.m., Yvette left for work as a waitress. At the end of her shift, her pockets were full of coins and small bills. He approached Yvette with a knife. He drove her to an area behind a business where he proceeded to strangle her, beat her on the head with a claw hammer six times, and raped her. He then drove her body 450 miles away to Presidio. He left her in the back of the car under a pile of clothes, robbed her, and tried to walk across the border into Mexico. He was stopped and questioned there because of the money he was carrying. It was a lot of small bills and coins, tips Yvette had earned during her shift. There had been a string of robberies in the area at the time. After a records check, he was let go and finally crossed the border into Mexico. The next morning, Yvette was reported missing and the police found a blood trail and coins in the parking lot and they began looking for Reyes. Two days later, they found the car and her body behind the Dollar General. He was captured and arrested on June 7th in New Mexico. He was convicted of capital murder in January 2000 and sentenced to death. All of his appeals were denied and he was executed by lethal injection on June 21st, 2007. I've carried this story with me for 24 years without knowing all the details or even her name and at times questioning whether it even happened or not. I grew up to think of this woman often, telling her story anytime true crime was brought up. I was a little emotional finally learning her name and her case after so long. Unfortunately, there have been so many similar cases since then, and that's why I will continue to talk of her and share her story. Thank you for giving us a space where we can share stories like hers. Creep it real and don't get scared, Jackie. Gosh, I mean, could you imagine seeing that? I would think her hand's yellow too. Because, I mean, you don't think about why the bag's there. Now we do. Yeah, but as a, what did she say, 12-year-old? Yeah, uh-uh. there ain't no way I wouldn't know that. Well, and I'm like, was she jaundiced? Or, like, yeah. She's not jaundiced, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, gosh, that's so sad, though. It always makes me so mad with stalking cases because it's always like they don't do anything until you're dead. And then they have to find your killer. Well, and it's like, why was he released? If he was a felon with a firearm, all these things that he had done, there's no reason he should have been released. Right. That's ridiculous. Okay, the next one, the thin place. Hey, you spooky, lovely ladies. First and foremost, I love the show. You two keep me laughing until I cry. 
I also need to tell you guys, when you read my first Sinister Sighting story, episode 165, story two, I totally fangirled. I'm coming with a new story that really isn't a ghost story, per se. I live in a small rural community in Southern Virginia, so naturally, the only thing around us are woods, cows, and maybe some creeks. It's a perfect place. We had just recently made the move into my family's new modular home next to the trailer we were renting. And our new home was everything my young, adventurous heart could handle. We had woods, a trail, a pond, and the most beautiful thicket of heavy brush and trees that you could walk through. A young weirdo's favorite place for bad Instagram pictures. One early evening in the summer, like right when the light of day is fleeting from view, but not quite dark, I ventured down into this trail to get into the prime viewing spot for stars and fireflies. Like any good southern girl does, if you hadn't done this, do it for real. To get to my spot, I had to follow my pre-made trail through this thicket of grass, trees, and brush. When I entered the opening, I suddenly noticed that there was absolutely no sound around me. No rushing water from the creek running into our pond's dam, no birds, no dogs barking, not anything. Where we lived, you would at least hear the local livestock or our animals outside carrying on. I chalked it up to being late and thinking everything that would be out in the day was probably settling in for the night. Time seemed to stop. I stayed out and saw nature's wonders for a while and went home back through the trail. The woods opened at the bottom of our backyard and it was just a short uphill walk to get home. Almost immediately after exiting, the noise started back up. The dogs were barking, the wind was blowing some trees, and even the few animals that were still out were making their presence known. It spooked me just a little bit, but I left it alone, forgot about it, and fell asleep. A few other times I would venture down there that I noticed at all times during the day, when I would enter this place, there would be no noise, no wind, no signs of anything happening in this area. Literally just quiet. No matter how noisy it was entering, it would be nothing. On one of my trips, I could not shake the sensation of being watched. I would look around and nothing would be there, just silence. I decided that was it. I was spooking myself. One of the evenings, I mentioned to my stepdad that the place below the house is kind of spooky. He laughed and said, the thin place? Thin place? What? For context, my dad is a huge folklore lover, believer of Bigfoot and skinwalkers, and has a rich Irish-Scottish heritage. According to him, a thin place is a passage between the real world and the dream world, between life and death, and allows different worlds beyond our reality to be passable. One of the known encounters of experiencing a thin place is a silence, that eerie silence and, of course, the feeling of being watched. Being his kid, I'm into all this stuff too and believed him wholeheartedly, but never thought more about it. Fast forward to autumn. I had still experienced the silence in my thin place, but nothing ever sinister. I had decided to push my luck and go see if it got spooky. Together with my stepdad, we went down to the thicket below the house. Almost immediately, the noise from the outside world disappeared and everything seemed to stop. The sensation of being watched came from every single angle and was much stronger than it had ever been before. This spooked us both. The dark was almost too thick to see through, and we got out before getting into something we thought would be bad. Once we got inside, we went through Google searches and stories passed through his generations to see if there was something to be worried about. The sensation this time was so much stronger than it had ever been. 
Aside from Reddit boards or mentions of freaking ourselves out, we learn that the thin places are special places, should be respected, and for the most part are just places. The most egregious things that it may cause is just poor crop growth. It was October, so we thought we had just psyched ourselves out. We did, however, see that thin places are the most active during the night of Samhain, which is the Celtic precursor to our Halloween. I don't know exactly when the night of Samhain is, but if I had to guess, it was around that time. We visit it every now and then. My grandparents live out there now, and I don't frequent it as much now that I'm older. Every time I do go, it seems the same. No noise, no life, just silence. Pure, still, at times scary silence. It's my thin place and I wonder what is beyond that veil of reality if I just gave into it. Love you ladies. Take care. Kareen. I can tell you, I wouldn't have to worry about that shit because I wouldn't be going back. <laughs> if I had to walk back uphill to go home, I wouldn't go downhill to go somewhere. Yeah, just a light trek uphill to get back home. No fucking thank you. <laughs> Through a thicket? No. My skin is very sensitive. I'm allergic to everything. First of all, why were you so excited about a thicket? <laughs> I mean, I am excited about thick things. So. Yeah, but not a thick it. <laughs> you want it to be thick. <laughs> I mean, no shade to you outdoorsy folk, but uh... <laughs> How you do that? What's it like to have energy? What's it like to have mosquitoes not bite you? Oh my God. Obsessed with me. They cannot get a fuck enough. Right? Men? Nope. Be like, please love me. No, mosquitoes are like, what it do, girl? Because I'm coming. And they're the worst. They're the ones that like type like GM for you in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Ugh, mosquitoes. I hate them. That is cool though that you and your dad have that in common and that y'all like do it together. Yeah. And that he's like, it's a thin place. And you're like, the fuck? (laughs) Me and one of my friends went to Rodney, Mississippi. And it's one of those like deserted towns or whatever. And seriously, it was daylight. We entered through, like you had to go through like Jackson State University. Like it's a weird entrance because like the town doesn't exist anymore kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Light was no longer there. And it was just so fucking weird. I was like, yeah, this is like a time warp. Well, apparently that was the last one and it snuck up on us. So insert Donna saying the last one or whatever she says every time. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Thank y'all so much for sending all these amazing stories in. Y'all do share some very personal things with us and we really do appreciate that. And so does all the other listeners because it makes them feel, you know, less alone and more connected. So thank y'all so much for sharing all of these amazing stories. If you want your stories read on an episode, you can send it in to us at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.